Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, good morning and welcome to the Football Digest Weekly Podcast. Wow, what a truly astonishing week it's been for football. The last few days have been absolutely crazy. Um, one like no other following the remarkable um, issue of the proposed Super League by 12 of Europe's biggest clubs, including the Big Six in England. Then it's collapsed within 72 hours, um, following what can only be described as a tsunami of criticism um, and public outrage that went right to the top at government level with Boris Johnson getting involved. Um, the event was so seismic that the, the sacking of Jose Mourinho was relegated to, you know, an afterthought, which, you know, under normal circumstances would have been a huge, huge story in itself. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Tottenham. Um, what next for them? Who replaces Jose? Was it was it the right decision? Um, there was a bit of football last night, thankfully. Two, two big games last night. Good wins for City. And Tottenham in Ryan Mason's first game um, as caretaker boss. We'll talk about that. Um, so joining me this week, I'm glad to say Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado at the Daily Express, and Neil Moxley, a good friend of ours. He's on the show this morning. He's Chief Sports Writer of the Sunday People. Welcome along, guys. Um, Andy, can I start with you? Obviously, there's only one place to start. Yeah. The... Um, the events of the last two, three or four days have been absolutely incredible, really. I know we've all been in this game a long time, but um, this was one hell of a story to cover. The news broke on Sunday. I know this this embryo of an idea has grown and grown over the years. It's no secret that these big clubs have wanted to try and form some sort of breakaway league. Um, when you heard the news on Sunday, what were your initial thoughts? Well, I think the initial thoughts when you hear this type of news, um, those of us have been in the game a long time, is that we've heard it all before. You, you know, as way back as the as the late eight, late 90s, sorry, you, you know, you, you were doing stories about potential Super Leagues. Um, one came along every couple of years, basically, you know, and has been over the last you know, 12, 24 months, talk of a Super League. So you always think, you start from... From the position where, well, they're using it as some sort of bargaining tool to get some sort of leverage in their arguments for a bigger slice of the um, European cake, the TV cake, and that, and that, and that's essentially, you know, you've become jaundiced over the years, cynical about these things. It's just a, it is literally just a, some sort of, um, some sort of ruse, some sort of like, you know, um, method where they can get their points across. And obviously, timing-wise, the story coming out, you thought, well, it's just on the eve of when UEFA are going to announce the expansion of the Champions League. And it's all part, you thought, of of the political manoeuvrings within football that we're all very, very well accustomed to. But it soon became clear over the next few hours then on Sunday, on the timeline, that it was just, it was, it was more than that. It was more than that. They were actually... And then, of course, there was the official announcement, which you expected late on Sunday evening, that actually this was a, a genuine... Um, albeit um, extremely ill-fated, attempt to create um, a new league. And that is when it became, you know, a completely different story. You know, we've never had this before where they've actually said, we are going to create this league. Here are the teams involved. 
and we are committed to it. Obviously, they were that committed in the end. So, so that was when it became, you know, a, a story that would, that would that would change, you know, the way we're thinking about football, you know, for for quite a long time because the ramifications are clear. What is what is now looking back on it clearly? You start from a point where you, you know there's there's no one um, who ever thought it was a good idea, and apart from those ten clubs, um, twelve clubs involved, and. Now you look back and you think, actually, you know how what is what is breathtaking is they thought they that it would ever get any traction whatsoever, that it would ever get any chance of getting any positivity whatsoever. How could they actually do it? And and what I think evolved over the next thirty six hours after that was fascinating, really, in the way that listen, they can't not have expected the sort of um, negative publicity that that came their way. Um, why then they didn't expect, though, for that negative publicity to actually uh, morph into uh, a uniform backlash, I'm not sure. But what happened then was because, was, 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 was as soon as um, people started speaking out against it, you know, politicians, um, uh, royalty even, you know, I, I'm, I'm most pundits, all pundits. I think people then became emboldened to say it's a little bit more than that. It's about time we made a stance and people became emboldened then in their criticism of it, and then clubs jumped jumped in. You, you know, I mean, and, and I'm not I'm I'm not being funny, but you know, clubs who probably you wouldn't expect to be, or you wouldn't say have you know much justification in being on the high moral ground. West Ham, I mean, like you know, you know, took the high moral you know the high moral ground. Now, really, over what's happened in that club over the last few years, but then everyone just became well, you know what, and people put the finger in the air and thought, you know what. I, the mood is we can absolutely hammer these clubs now, and then myself and you and, and Matt were all in on the um, Alexander press conference, and that to me was a, a point where you know what what they expected. Clearly, if it was an, an even sort of bigger attempt at getting getting a bargaining tool with UEFA. It backfired spectacularly because what they expected clearly, and in their in their sort of uh, rather amateur statements on Sunday night, was that they were that they wanted dialogue with UEFA, and what they probably expected was UEFA to say okay, and they were going to have dialogue. In the in the twelve hours before Zeffelin's press conference, he has looked around. He thought, you know what, that everyone is against this. You know, he even he even referenced Boris Johnson, didn't he? He, he, uh, he? he said everyone is against this. He's thought, you know what. I, I'm not going into the, the way to play this is not to be conciliatory. I am now just going to go all guns blazing for these guys because everyone will nod. And not only did he, he, I mean, I mean, he went double barrel, didn't he? He went absolutely double barrel. So where they expected the, the 12 clubs expected Seferin to say, maybe, okay, we can come to we can negotiate, whatever. Instead, he said, no, you snakes, you're liars. You're spitting in the face of football. I mean, you know, it was just, and, and and it was at that point I thought, you know what, this really is. I mean, it's dead in the water already. This is dead in the water already. I think how quickly you realised it was dead in the water is a testament to the fans' reaction to it. You know, which you can't underestimate. It was a testament to every single authority's um, reaction to it. It was a testament to every club's reaction to it, every player's reaction to it. And then you, a, a story that was so seismic, yet you knew the idea of it was doomed. You know, as I say, within. I mean, if you were generous, you'd say 36 hours. But certainly from when it was announced on Sunday, I think on Tuesday morning, 
after the events of Monday, uh, on Tuesday morning when the club started, you know, putting out their statements as well, you knew by Tuesday lunchtime that it wasn't a question of how they would, um, when they would. It, it, sorry, it wasn't a question of if they would try and slither out of this one. It was just a question of how and when they would. And maybe it was a bit of a surprise that came so quickly, but it was absolutely no surprise that it came at all. Matt, we were both at Wembley on um, Sunday tea time covering the FA Cup semi-final. We were write, writing other things that had no relation to the game we were actually at. But when you were writing about the Super League on Sunday night for the Daily Express, did you ever imagine that it would... I mean, I felt I'm writing about something here that, like Dunny says, is never going to happen, but we genuinely surprised at how quickly it all fell through and collapsed like a pack of cards on Tuesday evening, so within 48 hours. I'm I'm surprised how quickly it happened, Uh, but funny enough, I'm glad I missed nothing much on Sunday afternoon, apparently, because not having seen much of the football because we're so busy writing, apparently wasn't much football to miss. Uh, and thankfully, it was the same on Tuesday because I was at Stamford Bridge when the news, literally as I was walking up to the ground, there were protests going on and news filtered out that Chelsea were, were thinking, uh, were looking at ways of, of withdrawing from the group. And that was the first sign of a splinter actually from within the camp. Uh, and the fans just suddenly, as one started cheering like it was a goal had been scored, as the news went around social media, um, uh, and then they started singing, uh, you yeah, we've saved football. And um, uh, it, it was just remarkable how quickly the sense of relief. Uh, but from that moment, it felt that, what, that once that one of the teams decided, no, this isn't for us, uh, and it soon emerged that the others were feeling much the same way. It was clear it wasn't going to happen. And it took it, it, Chelsea, to be honest, didn't want to put a statement out for a long time because they were worried about the legal ramifications of extricating themselves from this. But when everyone else started putting statements out, it was a matter of just back all past seven that the, um, the sort of news became public they were coming out. Um, uh, and then by midnight, I think all six had, had put statements out to say they were gone. Uh, and that was how and Chelsea in the end did it playing catch-up because they didn't want to miss the moral high ground. I mean, it just absolutely fell on its, its face once it was realised. Mm. Once they, Their bluff was called, to be honest, and once you know, the whole world stood up and said, no, we don't want this. Uh, and the person who's most knows his most out of joint is Perez because the Premier League will go back now to their decent enough system where they rake in the money from a domestic league that's very lucrative. Um, and it's Perez who's been the driving force behind this um, with Agnelli uh, in Italy, who are left with leagues that can't sustain their overspending uh, and desperate to try and pay the bills, uh, while the Premier League can actually draw on strong resources anyway. This is the big surprise this time, is it's always when, as Andy re- referenced, when this comes up before, it's normally a watching brief by the Premier League mm. clubs who never really get involved because they're making quite enough money as it is, thank you very much. But this time they had all jumped in both feet uh, and that was what made this different. But I mean, they'll go back to the status quo as much as they can. It'll be interesting to see how much infighting it is there is amongst the 12 clubs, though, because um, Perez has shown no signs of wanting to let this go completely. Uh, and it might be a bit more ticklish than, than some of the Premier League clubs are making out. Uh, we don't know the contents of those pieces of paper they signed on Saturday afternoon um, that could make life a little bit awkward for them going forwards. But, but yeah, the whole thing fell on its down in a matter of hours. Neil, as a, as an esteemed Sunday journalist, were you having a little chuckle to yourself over a beer on Tuesday night, thinking about all your daily colleagues <laughs> scrambling around to write, make sense of this 
farcical situation. I don't uh, indulge in Schadenfreude and like that, Jez. You know, mate. Um, <laughs> not, not really. I thought it was a joke, quite frankly. When I first time I. Uh, I was doing something else, I have to be honest, on Sunday afternoon. And I thought, it, you know, I checked the date because I saw something. Uh, I, there was a statement from Arsenal's uh, website that caught my eye. And I, I honestly thought it was a spoof. I thought I must have signed up to one of these spoof accounts and, and on Twitter and, and looked down it and thought, no, this is serious. And, and, and I couldn't I couldn't quite work out, you know, why now? Why? What, you know, and then obviously, is it, you know, as, as Matt's alluded to, you know, it's basically happened because uh, Real Madrid and, and and basically Real Madrid have found themselves looking at a nine hundred million pounds worth of debt or euros worth of debt and um, trying to work out how they're going to repay it. Um, and, and that's to me has been the driving force for it all along. Um, somebody's in trouble money wise, and uh, they've dragged six uh, accomplices with them um, into the uh, well down with them effectively. Um, and now it remains to be seen, you know, really where we where we go from here um, and, and what the ramifications are because, um, as Andy uh, touched upon, you know, it's inflamed everyone in football. Um, never has the consensus been so strong, I don't think, against anything in football. I can't think of anything that's invoked such um, such a passionate uh, defence of, of the game itself. And, and it's, I think there's a line being crossed, quite frankly, and... Uh, I think I think they're going to. Um, I would. I'd be very surprised if there weren't serious um, sanctions from UEFA towards those uh, six clubs, um, as, as far as they can, because obviously their constituent members, or the majority of them, are of the of the Champions League, which remains the blue ribbon com- uh, competition, and also from the uh, from the Premier League, the fourteen clubs who who basically were ridden roughshod over, and I expect them to pretty much. Uh, Make sure that uh, you know the willful um, destruction of the competition that was perpetrated by these uh, by these six is punished adequately. Um, I expect that. I mean, the interesting thing going forward is going to be what range of sanctions um, that the, the clubs look at. Personally, I think they'll they'll leave the uh, competition, the Premier League, alone this season. And I would be very if it was me in charge, I would be recommending twelve point deductions across the board for the six at the start of next season. Um, are you not punishing fans if you do that? I mean, do, there's some debate now about whether punishing clubs as a whole is unfair and that individual directors, executives, chief executives should be punished because if you deduct a team nine points, that's obviously you're taking points off, off supporters, aren't you? It's, a, it's an awkward situation. Well, quite frankly, Jez, as a supporter of Birmingham City, nobody was moaning too much when we had nine points taken off us for yeah. Um, profit and sustainability regulations. I didn't see anybody step into the defensive Wigan, um, Sheffield Wednesday, a whole, a whole host of other football clubs who've been punished basically for the uh, misdemeanors of their owners. Um, so the precedent's been set as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yes, supporters are going to be punished, but you know therein lies the the the, the problem for for um, you know for, for 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 football really. To be honest, how do you you know keep a check on? Um, you know, owners who have, have willfully, basically, just plunged their clubs into 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 footballing chaos. Uh, yeah, I hear what you say, but um, I, I can't. I mean, you know, personally, I, I think there's a, an open door now for pretty much for football. I think it's a great. I think it's a fantastic opportunity, quite frankly. Now that the public are, are basically on side for for the government to step in because. Football can't be trusted to run itself, and um, basically, I think I think this needs some needs to be some regulation from above. Um, so that, that that's that's my point of view, and I, and I uh, you know I don't I'm not exactly I, I would like to see a permanent ten million pound a year tax 
uh, placed on every single Premier League and, and have it funneled back into grassroots um, football. Uh, and that £200 million a year should see uh, grassroots football catered for uh, very nicely over the, over the course of the next, uh, well, however long, it, you know, the, uh, the cash mm-hmm. cow that is the Premier League continues to, to develop. I mean, let's, let's be honest, £10 million a year if you're Manchester United, um, you know, is Luke Shaw's salary. Um, it's you know it's 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 I would say it's neither here nor there, but it, it's not it's not huge, and I, I, I'm just putting that out there as a possible uh, topic for discussion, really, to be honest, more than um, you know as a starting point for a discussion as to what goes as to what we do going forward, because um, I don't think it's uh, you know I don't think it was uh, an equitable solution to have closed competitions, um, so you know that they need to be discouraged from doing so again. Andy, just before we um, mm. continue to move on, try and take this story forward, you know, how we sort of build bridges again. Mm. Just going back to the Kefrin thing, because me and you were obviously texting mm. each other during that yeah. remarkable Zoom call. Do you think he's, I mean, there is an irony here that, that Kefrin is sort of talking about liars and snakes and he's, he's the president of an organisation mm. which has been exposed for numerous wrongdoings in the game, especially financial corruption and things like that. But... Do you think he's estimate he's gone up in people's estimations? The, the neutral football fan, given what he said this week. Do you think? I mean, he's the second most powerful man in football, I suppose. But what do you think about that? Well, um, well, yeah, he, he probably has. As I say, there is a grand irony, and it's not restricted to UEFA. In, in, in the and how many people, how many organisations have been able to to amass on on a very crowded, high moral ground? And as much as I agree with Mox on a lot of points there. I mean, one of them, for example. Uh, I mean, I mean, the idea of, of of politicians and government to me getting involved in football is is, is absolutely. I mean, I, I just think dreadful. I, I mean, I just don't. You know, these are uh, the charlatans who, who, who are who are you know the absolutely you know populate so many aspects of government. I don't want them involved in football. Do I want, you know, I mean, just look at the way they behave during, during you know, the relation between the pandemic and football and the stuff's come out with people like Julian Knight, Oliver Darden. Do I want these guys running football? No, I really don't. Do I want Boris Johnson running football? No, I really don't. Yeah, he's seen as someone who's been somehow, uh, like, you know, on the side of good in this. I mean, and, and, and that goes back to what you say about UEFA, is that UEFA, FIFA, the governments, like you know, they're they're, they're all seen as, as as like you know the good guys and all, all this, you know, which in in the sense that they opposed it, I guess nominally you can say they are, but you know, I mean, really, I mean, really, are these people that, that you want to be held up as being like you know great guardians of our game? No, I think government regulation is just. You know, the idea of an independent regulator may be, but certainly I don't want to see any politicians um, sticking it all into football. Uh, full stop. For Setherin and for UEFA, clearly, in a way, you could almost, if he'd have, it would have been a, a very fanciful, very clever um, sort of um, spin doctor or, or strategist who would have put this scenario out. But 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 somehow or other, I'd say UEFA have come across as being on the, you know, and it was, it was brilliant. It was like the next day when he says, you know, he says, oh, listen, lads, it's okay. You, you can come and say you're sorry. You know, can you imagine these 10 clubs thinking, 48 hours later, we're going to have the president of UEFA patronising us to the students saying, lads, you're all human, you all make mistakes, you know, well, but you come back in, you know, you can do your penance and come back in. They're thinking, what what happened here? You know, this was supposed to be the biggest shot across UEFA's bows in footballing history, 
and they end up with the presidents calling them snakes one day and the next day saying, but listen, don't worry, lads, you know, if you say sorry, we'll think about letting you back in. He then turns around and he welcomes Man City back as though they're some sort of prodigal son. This is UA for a Man City we're talking about, for goodness <laughs> sake. And he said, and, and he's going on about, oh, yeah, we know you'll be a great asset. You, you know, come on, come on, come back in, lads, you know. I take a seat, have a cup of tea. And meanwhile, the president of, of, of PSG is going to be made ECA president or whatever. It's, you know, it, 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 this whole situation is full of of ironies that you, you couldn't begin to, you could not begin to even go into them. And, and, and the point is, I want to say about the strategy is that, is that we all wrote, I mean, that was so, I mean, that was an hour and five minutes of absolute, you know, for us, dynamite. You know, you, you were wondering what insults he was going to come up with next. And just when you thought he'd finished, He'd throw another one in, you know, and it was just what, you know, this is just astonishing. But what it did is it relegated the reorganisation of the Champions League, the expansion of the Champions League, the admission of two clubs who won't have gained automatic entry into the Champions League. It relegated all that to what we call in the trade a blob par, i.e. one par tacked on the end of everything else. And that's what it did. I mean, I got I got to the end of writing it up and then I suddenly thought, oh, I actually better write something about um, this new um, Champions League which on any given day would be a big story. You're reorganising football's blue ribbon club event. And it becomes six lines of copy because, <laughs> because of everything else. And in a way, had his strategy said, let's play this out like that, it would have been perfect. And only now, you know, 48 hours later, people are beginning to say, okay, hang on a minute. Now let's have a look at the UEFA's Champions League expansion. You know, now let's see if this is good for football. Is it good for football to have these extra games. Is it good for football to have a, the, these teams allowed in who haven't qualified from the previous seasons, whatever? And, you know, what is the, the slice of the cake for clubs, et cetera, et cetera? <clears throat> so has he gone up in, in, in our estimation? Well, I mean, listen, I wouldn't cross him, that's for sure. Um, and, and again, you can only, for all what I'm trying to sort of suggest are the, the sort of subtle reasons behind it, the fact that he came out and absolutely destroyed them was, was, was you know, was, I think, as much as we laud, um, you, you know, certain pundits, um, that was as, as withering as any attack. And to me, I, I, I think the clubs would have looked at that and thought, you know, that's it, really. I, um, I text Phil Townsend, who works for you, he was obviously well. He was on the end Phil. of the table, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I texted him afterwards and basically said, holy smoke, I wouldn't pick a fight with Alexander Kseferov. Yes. He texted me back about twenty minutes later. So I've just just shown you, shown him your text, and he said he just laughed like chuckled like with like a Bond villain. And I know. He laugh. kept. <laughs> he, he kept. It was brilliant because he kept taking his glasses off, didn't he? he yeah. When he got to it, he kept just taking his glasses off, and it always reminded me of you know someone in a pub who's getting more and more angry, and then takes his glasses off because he knows he's about to be in a fight. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, if there was someone in front of me, he would have nutted him. And like, you know, I just thought, my word, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having that. And at that point, you know, you, you're thinking, uh, you know, and, and this, I, I, as I say, there, there is a whole, a whole thing about about you know these these part these organisations and people and politicians who've taken, um, you, you know, um, umbrage against this idea. Now, you know, you look look at themselves and and see exactly what what they are doing for the good of the game. Well, Anya, take up on that because um, in amongst everything else was snuck through on Monday the announcement that the fan-led review of football was going to be brought forward by by the politicians, yeah. um, by Tracy Crouch, who I think is actually one of the, the stronger voices on sport yeah. we've had in recent years. 
uh, and has principles, hence uh, the manner of her resignation over some of the uh, gambling uh, legislation that she wants to bring through. Um, but that's going to happen now. Uh, and I'm with you. I think there's a lot of people, uh, politicians, who uh, like football because it gets them on the telly talking about things yeah. their constituents are interested in. Um, and there, But there's a little bit too much of that grandstanding. But that said, what this has shown is the Premier League can't be trusted to look after the football family. It's less than a year since we were talking about the football family all getting together and sorting out the game once and for all when pandemic first struck. Barry went to the uh, wall for the sake of two million pounds. And, uh, you know, all that talk, no, no, this is the game changer. This is when football takes responsibility for itself. And yet a year down the line, our six biggest clubs, our six biggest money earners uh, are there looking, feathering their own nests, looking to jump into bed with Europe um, instead of looking at their own game. So as much as it pains me that the wrong politicians are going to get involved, I think if a few of the right ones get involved, government legislators, they, they provide the policing to all these games. So they can, they have the power to wield a stick against football to make it do what it needs to do now to shape up the game, at least domestically, look after the pyramid, do what it's supposed to do with a stronger FA, perhaps, hopefully with an independent review, uh, an independent governing body, perhaps, leave the FA to do the discipline side and the England team and then let's have the governance of the game uh, in somebody else's hands, maybe. But there has got to be a proper change now so that the six people we're relying on for all the money can't just suddenly at a whim do what they did on Saturday and sign up to jump into bed with somebody else and potentially take all the money that's in the game in this country and share it amongst their their uh, you know their rich friends, effectively maybe not cash rich at the moment, but but their, their uh, other big clubs in mm. Europe when they should be looking after the teams that are lower down the pyramid because they're the ones on which their success is built on and the culture of the game in this country. And it goes all the way down to the grassroots in this country. And I don't like to be you know, too parochial about it and too little England or whatever, but effectively it is the English game that they're, that they're champions on. It's a very unique flavour to our league, which is what makes it so successful. And that's built upon kids in our country playing football on our grass pitches so uh, on our AstroTurf pitches whatever they can put infrastructure they can put in place but it, that's what the whole thing is built on and it's all collapsing underneath them uh, and, and they're just fiddling almost while the whole of football burns away to nothing uh, in the midst of a pandemic and that's what really stuck in the craw stood at Wembley um, thinking about what you're right is hang on a sec, you're in an empty Wembley Stadium virtually. You're seeing the first few fans come back, the green shoots of football getting back to normality. And that's all the sign that these clubs needed to say, right, okay, lads, we're off to do, a, we're off to make advantage of, of whatever money-making scheme we can now. And, and I think it's going to take government now to call that to a halt. Uh, and let's just, I just pray with you, Andy, that, that it's the right politicians uh, and not the ones that, that you talked about earlier can at least bang some heads together and get us to move in the right direction finally. Marks, yesterday was basically a day full of pitiful, grovelling apologies from these billionaire owners like the Glazers, J.W. Henry. I mean, they just queued up one after one to, to, to you know, apologise to fans and the game. But um, 
I don't know if you saw the JW Henry video that he, he posted. I did, yeah. It's, to me, I don't know if you agree, but it sort of lacked a lot of empathy. You know, he referred to Liverpool as LFC. And it, I just, it just made me think, these guys, they they still don't get it really, do they? Mm. they don't, Henry was apologising just to the Liverpool fans, not, not to the, the wider spectrum of all football lovers around the world. Um, do you agree with that? Do you think? Do you think it just highlighted even more the, the sort of distance there is between these rich, mega rich people and and you know the man on the street who saves up all week to go watch a football match? Yeah, I do. I think it comes down to one simple phrase, where I think it comes down to a bond of trust, um, and and I think it's been uh, Iraq uh, just just broken beyond repair, quite frankly. Um, I don't think I think they were just uh, it was just it was just words for the sake of it. Um, I don't, you know, I, 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 to be honest with you, it was, I was looking, you know, at, at uh, yesterday morning at uh, the apologies that were that were listed by the the, the different clubs. Um, uh, Manchester United will be working with others across the football community to come up with sustainable solutions to, for the long term challenging facing the challenges facing the game. Chelsea, um, we've decided continued participation will not be in our best interests. Manchester City, we have formally enacted procedures to withdraw, um, to withdraw rather. Um, uh, Arsenal, the system needs to be fixed. I mean, it wasn't until uh, J.W. Henry came out with his uh, apology. However, um, uh, there was there, there really was one. Quite frankly, yeah. I've got to be quite quite honest with you. You know, it's set against the backdrop of this bond of trust being just smashed, shattered into a million pieces. And that it's uh, and that that for me, how are they going to trust? Uh, you know anything that the, that the owners uh, say say again? I mean, it was only twelve months ago at the start of this um, uh, pandemic uh, that Liverpool decided to furlough uh, its staff, and it was only the backlash of supporters that managed yeah. to, to, that managed to prevent you know this great football club from from furloughing its staff and having made, you know, a £50 million profit in the last uh, 12 months. Now, I'm Tottenham not... are guilty of that as well. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, but, but this is just, again, another smack in the face for, you know, the, the Liverpool fans and, and football fans in general because I'm not holding up J.W. Henry as being any um, any different mm-hmm. from, from any of the others, quite frankly. They're all in the... You know, they all show the solidarity signing up to it so they can all take the medicine. Um, you know, once the punishment's handed down, I just want to just quickly, just before we move on, just want to answer and uh, come back to Andy's point. He doesn't want to see politicians. I, I, neither do I, quite frankly. No. My bond of trust with politicians was broken some time ago, and Julian Knight is my MP, <laughs> or worse. So, so I've got no, um, yeah, absolutely, I agree with grandstanding and all the rest of it, mm. but I just think that football has shown itself so utterly incapable of sorting itself out that, you know, that, you know, there's only one avenue left open to it, yeah. despite what I think of all these people. And that's, that's legislation, that's legislation mm-hmm. from above. And, you know, as long as it's done with, you know, uh, with somebody who's got a grasp of what the football industry actually is, um, then, then I, I wouldn't yeah. see any other outcome, quite frankly. But don't, please don't, don't, don't for one minute. I hold politicians on any great pedestal as, you know, it's just, they're the only solution I can see to sort, you know, to, 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 that football will take any note of. And Mark, so if, if we just say about those statements you read out there, you know, and, and, and all, 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 you know, the words you use there, the one that really gets me and why they keep doing it, doesn't someone tell them, 
stakeholders. There were stakeholders. Like, you know, I'll tell you what, there's a few fans holding stakes wanting to do something <laughs> else with them. Put some heads on them. I think I, that, 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 that yeah. was what they wanted to do. Stakeholders, key stakeholders, mate, they're our players and they're our fans. End of story. You know, we'll consult all the stakeholders in all the stakeholders' best interest. Since when have you become, you know, as, as, uh, we've got the best stakeholders in the world. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it's just ridiculous. But this is the ownership, you know, and this is now without, you know, um, generalizing and being about a certain um, type of owner, i.e. an American owner, I am going to. Because the fact of the matter is, is that they see the, they see the clubs. Look, look at the American model, right? I mean, here's a story about um, the American football team, the Baltimore Colts, yeah? So... So their owner, a guy called Robert Ersey, he, he, you know, he decided he wanted to move to Baltimore Colts to become the Indianapolis Colts. And, and everyone was against him in Baltimore. They had a strong fan base, you know, the media followed them, whatever. So he did a moonlight flit, loaded up 20 articulated lorries and took the club to Indianapolis. And that was it. And when, and when he was, you know, when they woke up, and I mean, literally woke up and their club had gone, He's then sort of, you know, the media are onto him in Indianapolis, and he said something along the lines of, "Well, listen, it's not your ball club, and it's not the people's ball club. It's my ball club. I own it. I do what I want. And if I want to pack it up and take it to Indianapolis, then I'll do it. And that's not the only instance of that in, in American sport. We all know, you know, clubs St. Louis Rams become the LA Rams. That is the way they work. They own the ball clubs. They can't get the concept, the noble concept that we all have, which is actually." Liverpool Football Club belongs to the people of Liverpool. Manchester United Football Club belongs to Manchester United fans. We all trot this out, don't we? I mean, I know, and we hear it all again. If you had, you know, a pound for the amount of times people said, ah, oh, yeah, but it's the fans that make the club, you know, and, and we believe in that. And we will always believe in that. You know, Liverpool is still a great club, despite what they've done, you know, over this time. But these guys don't think like that. These guys just think it is something they own. The Glazers think they own it. They're not bothered about what the fans think about them. They're not bothered about this any noble idea of history, tradition, what it means to a community. They're not interested in the community. Of course not. J John W. Henry and, and Liverpool's owners, they tried to trademark the name of Liverpool, the city. Right. I mean, <laughs> what else did you expect them to do about having you know no qualms in trying to join a European Super League? You know, they... they, they it, it, that, that whole thing, and, and it's not excusing them, but that is the way they are. They own the ball club, as as, as this guy, you, you know, the Baltimore calls it. And I do what I want with it. Now, what they've been shown is that actually, you know what? And let's face it, they also, when I say, that, you know, they've reacted to supporters, yes, but they, they also know that in terms of, as a business, once everyone is against it, then as a business, it's not viable. So the European Super League instantly became not financially viable. So that, you know, that is as much probably why they did it as, you know, upsetting, you know, the man on the street. But it's just a whole new, you know, it's, it's a whole sort of mindset of them that they own the ball club. And uh, and that's as simple as that. And, and that is where the ownership of clubs has always been a, a, a moot point. It's always been a contentious point. It's why we bring in fit and proper persons tests, which have shown themselves to be, you know, basically not fit and proper um, for the for their purpose. And that's why it will continue to be, you know, the ownership of football clubs will continue to be and has been, by the way, long before these guys come along as well. Matt, Andy sort of beat me to the punch there. It's going to be my next question. But a lot of these big clubs are owned by, you know, Arsenal are owned by Americans, Liverpool are owned by Americans, United are owned by Americans. 
because these clubs are worth so much money, say if the Glazers wanted to sell Manchester United, mm. which I'm clearly thinking that, that the pl- part of this plot to join the Super League would have been to double the value of Man United to four billion quid and then sell it on and make a make a lot of money. If you, the Glazers said tomorrow, right, we're selling Man United, who's going to buy us? The pro- problem is that these rich, you have to be mega, mega rich to even contemplate buying a club like Man- Manchester United. These gen- these are generally people from America, successful men. Are you just going from the frying pan into the fire? I mean, when as long as these rich people own institutions like Manchester United and Liverpool, are we always going to face the same problem? The problem is what Dunning just basically said, that all they're bothered about is using these football clubs as a tool with which mm-hmm. to make money. How, do, how are we ever going to escape that? Well, I mean, it's, it's, that's true. I mean, there's a very few people who could afford to buy a Premier League football club. Um, the problem is, of those very few people, most of them want a nice, easy life because they've earned it with all their money. And the people who don't want a nice, uh, easy life are those with a bit of uh, vanity about themselves. Uh, and they're the ones that tend to buy the football clubs. So, you know, you do it to create a, uh, a profile for yourself, perhaps, which you, which you haven't got. Um, and they're the there's a danger that that attracts the wrong sort of person. It is difficult because, yeah, I suppose someone's got to own it, but, but you know, it wasn't so long ago that all the big clubs were PLCs. Um, and, you know, you could refloat or whatever. You know, there's no reason why it has to be owned by an individual. You know, why not sell off your, the, the uh, football club's shares and go back that way uh, in, in some sort of way? You know, I'm not particularly, it happens so infrequently, these takeovers now at that level. If you notice, most people are those that take over clubs wanting to get to that level in the hope that they crack Premier League football and then instantly multiply the value of their company by 10, you know, by just by getting promotion. Um, it is difficult. But then again, <laughs> you know, how long's Newcastle been up for sale? You know, it, there aren't many people who can buy a Newcastle, not, not that. Me, me, even even a rubbish fit and proper person's test. Um, so yeah, it is difficult, and um, th- these things are only worth the value that they're, that they're worth when you come to want to sell them. So it is going to be hard for some of these owners that have made fools of themselves. Let's not mince words on that. Uh, it's going to be hard for them to to, to back mm-hmm. out anytime soon. So it's going to be an awkward time at those clubs. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can't just suddenly say. Go on, you know, so many million all near offer, and put an advert in the back page of the the local of the Liverpool Echo, uh, and you know, and expect to get shot of it by the end of the week. Yeah, it's going to be an awful time for those clubs, and and they've got to reconcile between themselves how they move forward. And I can see how. Well, look, look what happened last time with Liverpool with with the previous owners that that fell out with the club. Uh, You know, that just. Had to run until it, until a sale was was organised, uh, and there was no way back. You know, it's yeah, it's a mess for those clubs. But to be honest, I don't think many people outside of those clubs feel that sorry for them. Marks, obviously, we know now that so many bridges have been burned in this whole failed and doomed project. I mean, you've got fourteen Premier League clubs that have basically turned their nose up at, at the, the big six. The big six have got, come back grovelling. You know, they were they were emitted from a, a shareholders meeting earlier in the week when the fourteen just basically ganged up on the big six. Obviously, in the middle of this is Richard Masters as chief executive of the Premier League. He runs the Premier League. How where does he even begin to start trying to mend this damage that's been done? 
Well, he's got a different, difficult balancing act, hasn't he? Because clearly the big six are the big six for a reason. You know, they're the ones that generate the most revenue, the most interest, have the most supporters. And it was a whole, you know, it was a whole um, bedrock for them actually uh, escaping in the first place, the, the fact that they could do this. So they did. Um, you know, and it's long, you know, they've always had this, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, selling off individual television rights. That's been long been booted, you know, we, we, you know it's, we're not going to bother with the collective, we're going to go and sell, sell, our, own, sell our own as, as a possible revenue generator. I mean, so he's got, he's got to reconcile the, the, the um, punishment that, that has to be meted out, there has to be some, um, some sanctions uh, levelled against the, against the six, with obviously the 14 that, that weren't invited to the party. Uh, so that's, that's his big, um, his big uh, problem. And it's interesting to see that, you know, that Richard Scudamore, the former chief executive, was, was drafted in because, to be fair to Richard Masters, while I think he's, you know, he's, he's handling the, the Newcastle United situation has been a little, little short, you know, well, to be honest, probably from a Premier League position, it's been a very clever one. Um, I, I, you know, my own personal view is that, you know, it should have gone through. Um, but, but that's, that's another argument. But, but so he's had the pandemic, he's had problems over in Newcastle. Uh, and, and then he's had this to, to contend with in a very short space of time. So I was quite pleased to see Richard Scudamore, um, uh, you know, sort of brought in to try and mediate because Scudamore understands, you know, the landscape, the people involved far better and can possibly, you know, bring about an equitable um, solution, um, you know, to what is quite a, a thorny problem because you've got, you've basically got cats in a bag fight, uh, fighting, haven't you? Um, that's that's basically what it is. There's 14 people who, who, you know, representing clubs who feel very, very brushed off, very, very um, left out, very, very, and possibly while they understand the motives of the of the of the six big clubs involved, you know, would be mightily brushed off at the manner in which it's been um, in which it's been handled, and would seek for some sort of redress. So that's that's Richard Masters' main um, main priority in the next. He's, he's reconciling those two vastly vastly different problems. Donny, do you think um, we can ever see a harmonious game in the future? I'm not sure, Jeremy, that we've ever had a harmonious game, have we? You, you know, it, it's listen, you know, there's been disarming in the game for, well, you know, long before our time. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. You, you know, when, you know, I mean, I think, you know, Manchester City, when, when, you know, when the different ownerships and the different chief execs or secretaries as they were then, you know, remember Peter Swales, you know, these, these, these things, these things do, you know, let's, let's not, for as, for as bad as this is, let's not forget there have been good and bad owners in football since owners existed, you know, owners in football, you know, a while ago treated players as, as though they, they, they were, you know, young men being sent down the mines, you know, it, it, it's not, it, it's not a, it's not a uniquely modern thing. It's relevant to us, of, of course. It's. And no, we won't see a harmonious game. Um, but that's just by the very nature that, 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 that certain clubs will, you know, will always look after their own interests. You know, to ask someone to be completely and utterly sort of altruistic about this whole situation and say, well, we're going to do the best for the good of the game, just isn't going to happen because every club will want to look after its own interests. You know, there are, you know, you, you only hope that actually. You know they do. Um, um, so the bigger clubs do for certainly for a short, probably for a short while, sort of you know serve a bit of penance and sort of try and think of the greater good. But Mox is absolutely spot on. These you know they, they are called. I mean, hopefully, you know it'd be nice if we didn't call them this. You know, from 
after this particular incident, the big six anymore. But they are, they were called that for a reason because they're the big six financial generators. And for as much as they, you know, you might want to punish them or you might want to, you know, for them to sort of be, to be a lot less sort of brash and whatever. The fact of the matter is, you know, they can always turn around and say, well, okay, you know, we'll, 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 we can negotiate our own TV deal, you know, next time around. You know, these are the 14 clubs and your West Ham's and your Everton's and people like that who are against them. When it comes around to next TV deal, you know, they don't, you know, the bottom line is, it's Liverpool, Manchester United, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs, you know, will be the driving force of that deal to get, you know, to, to get, to keep the collective going. You know, in the end, they will turn around and say, well, listen, you know, we're the ones who, who people are watching. So for these clubs, you know, for example, the clubs this season, Sheffield United, um, you know, Fulham, they're going to turn around, West Brom, they're going to turn around and say, well, listen, there's a reason why you're getting relegated, yet you're still earning 100 30 million quid and it's a lot to do with us so so that so as long as you've got the discrepancy in the size of clubs then you're not going to get perfect harmony but I don't think we should get carried away with the idea that you know this is absolutely sort of new thing because it's not it's just some clubs have always been bigger than others you know you know it's, it's a George George Orwell yeah. thing you know they all think they're equal but some are more equal than others yeah good stuff George Orwell was it doesn't it <laughs> Uh, yes. Sleep. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all Wake up, animal farm. <laughs> That's good stuff, boys. Let's move on to Dude. another huge story that happened this week. And obviously, Jose Mourinho was sacked by Daniel Levy at Tottenham. Uh, Mark, you, you, you are entrenched in the comings and goings at Tottenham. Were you surprised at the timing of it, given that it was um, in the build-up of the week of the League Cup final? Six days before he got a chance to do exactly what he was brought in to do in the first place. Yeah, it does. That that timing just beggars belief. Well, the only thing I mean, I, I unfortunately haven't got access to the precise details of his uh, contract, but it did make me wonder whether, in the same way, he's got a two million bonus for for keeping him in the uh, in the uh, top four. Um, he might have a little something coming his way where he to land them a trophy, and Levy didn't want to pay him that. That 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 did raise its itself as a thought. <laughs> Because uh, we've all known football clubs that have bent the rules and done weird things just to save themselves a few bob on bonus money and whatever else. Um, it, it was just clear it wasn't working. It's been clear it's not working for a long time. Um, so the timing, well, yeah, it wouldn't have surprised me if it was earlier, to be honest. Um, but yeah, six days before the cup final did seem a bit odd when you've gone when you've persevered that far. But but Spurs recently have been appalling. Um, you know, they've, they've scrapped a few results out in amongst it all, but it, it, the spirit had gone. And, and I, I was just watching, I was only watching the uh, the second half last night, um, but some of that spirit instantly seemed to come back. There was more pressing, there just seemed to be a bit more exuberance about their play. Um, you know, with a 29-year-old manager who wasn't good enough to be in that team, is suddenly told, right, you can be manager of it. The whole dynamic's weird. But but there was just some, some sort of sense of relief. Gareth Bale began to look interested again for the first time this season. Um, uh, and, yeah, they, uh, there were very few people still loyal to Mourinho and his methods. Um, I, I went through it again with his Amazon Prime video. It was such an eye-opener. The first thing he says to David Sanchez was, I, I could see you've lost that Europa League final in 2017 in the tunnel because your heart wasn't in it and none of your teammates were. 
And that, that's the first time he's met the bloke. How's <laughs> <laughs> that going to make? And he's, he, he's, he's struggled. You look at the number of players. Who, so Harry Winks was a regular England international. He's He's gone by the way. Eric Dyer, self-confident as you can think, he seems to have lost his belief in where he can play. Before he was... You know, and a promising midfielder. Now he's a defender, and now you know he's not even that. Uh, you know, Deli Ali, goodness knows what's gone on there, but certainly Mourinho's not got the best. You know, it's, it's been Deli's brother; it's his cousin, I think, or mm. third cousin once removed at the moment. Um, you know, but but he, Matt Doherty went from Wolves, and Mox used to you'd have seen him play a lot more there. I don't know if you recognise the same player. I know he's had injury problems, but you know, it's just where's the improve? He's a coach, first of all. You know. He makes a point. He's the head coach at Spurs because he doesn't do the transfers. Um, yeah, what's he coaching? He, he's just making all the players worth. And with the two exceptions to that, are Harry Kane, who become a, who'll keep becoming a better player until his knees and his ankles finally give in, and Kyung um, Min Son, who again has that same inner self belief that's going to make him a, a star wherever he goes. Uh, and aside from that, he's just yeah. There's a lack of intensity about training. We're told, and you know, you thought. That's something Mourinho would have been hard on, and yeah, it just the whole thing seems a mess, and uh, and it's so it's so it's no surprise that he's gone. Um, what what they're hoping to achieve, I don't know. Some sort of collective, let's do it for Ryan, who's a popular figure around Spurs. Um, seven of when he last played, seven of the other players in the starting lineup was against game against Newcastle um, just after they'd lost the league to Leicester. Seven of those other players were available to him. Uh, if they'd been fit um, last night, uh, and Deli Ali was suspended for his last game, so that's eight. It's the same team basically that he left um, with, with a couple of extra players. So there's that will to do well again. Let's all muck in together, sort of thing, and that might carry them to the top four. It probably won't, but but next Sunday is going to be interesting because. You don't want to be playing your second game as a manager against Pep Guardiola, on I would think. But but that's a situation Levy suddenly dropped them in, and and that's why they, to come back to your question, the timing is bizarre because yeah, any other week sort of thing, either later or you know, sack him after he's lost the, the cup final or or a few weeks ago. But yeah, odd, really odd. Mox, do you think it was the right decision? Do you think Mourinho is starting to look a bit of a tired manager who's been left behind by the game? Yeah, just I just want to pick up very quickly before we answer that that point. I will come to that. I just want to pick up on Matt's um, Matt, Matt's what what Matt sort of just finished on. Let's just assume that Jose won on Sunday. Daniel Levy, it's very difficult for him to then sack him at any stage. Well, but pretty much before the start of next season, and, and Jose would you know be reveling in the fact that he actually won Spurs something. If 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 Daniel Levy knew. That divorce was 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 inevitable as it as it quite clearly was as it quite clearly why wait why give Jose you know what because that trophy would have probably given Jose a bit more protection that that that's the only thing that I, I might I might now well so personally I agree. I, you know I find it difficult to think that, that well, that's a very bitter split though Mox when Levy was been in awe of Mourinho for for ten years which is why he got rid of his best manager he's ever appointed uh, and bought Mourinho in instead of him. It does yeah. seem a bit, you know, I'm not even going to give, that's quite a, that's fighting through the record albums and yeah, but, and her, the crockery. Uh, yeah, that's that level of, of meanness of about a divorce. And 
there were a few signs that it was getting that that intense that he'd rob him of that chance. Because there's no question if Levy felt he was going to go, uh, a Carabao Cup wasn't going to make a difference. And it's not as if the fans were going to be saying, oh, no, but Jose won us the Carabao Cup. You know, he's got to stay because the fans aren't behind him. Levy would still have been able to make that decision. And to rob him his chance of even that sort of title just seems just a little bit mean. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I'm just trying to find a, a reason as to as to why he would do it now. I, I don't believe it's the money. You know, if it's two million quid, it's two million. It's two million quid. They borrowed 175 million pounds off the government. You know, to get them through a variety. You know, I can't. Really, I, I'm having difficulty reconciling um, myself to mm. that. Sorry, Jess, what was the question? I, I was just going to ask you, do you think Mourinho now look? I mean, he's not won a trophy since 2017 at any club. You know, is it, have we, it, does he look like a manager who's been left behind in terms of tactics, how you approach the game? And obviously, he's Guardiola is running the show at the minute. Um, there's other managers younger than him that are starting to emerge. Do you think he looks like a tired, tired manager now? I, th- I think I think he probably um, will need to refine his, his management methods. And to, if, he, if he if he so wishes to, didn't he come out? Didn't he say something a few weeks ago? Saying money, the manager, you know, and somebody said, you, 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 like you've just said, he's not won, you're not won much over the last five years or whatever. And he said, well, look, I, you know, my, I'm, I'm the same. The players have changed. Um, you, you know, I, I think he's he's probably got to tap in a little bit more to the modern mentality. I think, you know, the, the players that um, Jose was uh, managing twenty years ago at Porto uh, were uh, different from the ones he's, he's managing at Spurs in terms of their mentality as much as anything. I think Matt, Matt just touched on in that documentary about you know he, he talked to Davidson Sanchez. You know, I, I, I think he, some of these some of the modern day players don't like you know. Uh, to be told the harsh truth, um, you know, and don't want to be, uh, you know, given given any uh, criticism whatsoever. And perhaps the the mentality, I don't think that I uh, just just beggars belief to me as to why a team like Spurs that was absolutely, you know, I thought was, uh, you know, primed to win a couple of trophies in 2016, 17, you know, you know, falls flat on its face year after year mm. with the players it's got, and I just wonder whether or not, particularly with the defenders. At his disposal. Jose has looked at them and thought, "I'd like to change three or four. I mean, you don't mean to tell me Sergio Aurier is a Jose Maria, uh, Jose Mourinho um, defender. I mean, I'm, I can't quite understand what the, 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 the bringing why they brought in Matt Doherty because he, he he thrived at wing back and Tottenham played a flat back. I mean, that was just that seemed bizarre to me. But um, I think it's a mentality thing, and I think it, I think Jose reconciled him towards the end to the fact that you know that the, the uh, the axe would fall, and um, you know that's why he was being a bit more vocal in his criticism of the players. So uh, the, I, I am, I'm not surprised he's gone, but I am surprised at the timing of it. Just trying to uh, work out quite why it is that Daniel Levy has pulled the plug now. Andy, do you think uh, that's the last we'll see of Mourinho in English football, and will our game miss him, or will it not miss him? Um. I suspect it might be the last. It's hard to see where else you know he can he can rock up in, in the Premier League. I mean, he could. If he, I mean, listen, there are a lot of clubs out there in the Premier League who would take him. You know, as if only because you know he, he brings an awful lot of um, publicity, an awful lot of um, attention on your club. You, you know, I mean, bizarrely, you could look at a club say. You know, a club like Newcastle or someone like that. You, you know, but it, it, whether or not he'd want to do that. I don't just mean that club specifically, but of, of that ilk, you know, clearly if, if again, if, of the, of the, of the so-called elite clubs, then, you know, he's done what we would call 
um, three of them now, and you know it, it's clearly impossible for him to do any of the others. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take him. Um, I suspect we won't see him um, again. We'll, we'll probably see him in some form or other. We'll see him an awful on our TV screens. Let's put it that way. You know, if, if, if he doesn't, you know, the pundits who he's railed against for his entire career, he will become the arch pundit and he will become the self-proclaimed special pundit. He will be the pundit to end all pundits. Never mind Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. Jose will be taken out. Let's face it, he will. You know, I mean, this. So, so in other words, have we seen the last of him? Absolutely not. He'll probably pop up in gambling adverts as well. As he, as he as he rather did bizarrely, um, he, he will just be yeah he will part, he will be part of our footballing culture. Listen, the next time the England job comes up, there will be you know there will be certain people linking him with the England job. If only Jose Mourinho himself linking himself with the England job or whatever, because this he, he was close before. I think we're probably going to continue down the route now. Thankfully, of having an English coach as um, England manager, but you never know. And you know, should that job become available? And Jose Marino, listen, the FA were desperate for him at one point. Let's let, let, let's be honest about that. So, so you know, who knows? But you're more likely to think that it'd be a, a, a job abroad. I don't know. The overriding thing for me is I'm just, you know, I, mean, I like him a lot, and I'm just, I'm just disappointed that again, not quite the, not quite as quickly as we knew the Super League was doomed, but not far off it. We knew that this was doomed, didn't we? You know, and, the, and if you were. Uh, a mega cynic, and obviously this is absolutely one hundred percent. I just want to, you know, make it clear, hundred percent not the case. But if you were a mega cynic, you know, you would look at it and you would think it's another payoff, you know. And and it, 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 I mean, he, he is the compo king, isn't he? You know, this must be eighty million quid. You know, I mean, when when, when you know when owners give him the contracts, they must just think, you know, how much is um, the, the owners are putting these things. In there, so basically, I'm not saying for one minute that he ever thinks, "Well, guess what compo I'm going to get if I happen to get the sack." But you do know that it's a very, very, very plump cushion he's about to fall on, and we're talking eighty million pounds in payouts. You know, you know, conservatively. Plus, you do have such is still his charisma, and such is still his standing that he's not going to not get another job. You know, so and the last time around, he actually walked into. An incredible job in spares, you know, having essentially failed at his previous job. So I was just disappointed that that he didn't seem to give it more of a go in terms of, I don't mean an effort in terms of effort, but it just never, from sort of day one, from early press conferences when, again, this sort of rather tiresome portrayal of spares as somehow being, you know, um, the minnows in in, in in title races, you know, he used the analogy before at Chelsea, didn't he, there? the small horses, the ponies, that sort of stuff. And then the, you know, throwing players under a bus, the, you, you know, in public. And that just becomes, as soon as you saw all that, you thought, everyone just thought, well, here they go again. You know, here, here we go again. Most people thought, well, it'll be the, the normal third season syndrome. It's come quicker than that. And I just I just thought that on this occasion, he might have, you know, sort of shown people what he actually can do. But I just think what was disappointing for me, never mind whatever the time and whatever the results for that, I can't believe there was actually a Carabao Cup, Cup clause in his contract, but he probably was. But would have been any sort of aware, that's all I'm thinking. Exactly, yes, I, I know. But I, I just think that, I just think that whatever, whatever the timing was, I think, yeah, it might have surprised us it came when it did, but we knew it was coming, as simple as that. I mean, that's the bottom line. Was I surprised on Monday? Yes. Was I surprised that it ended? No. Again, it was just a question of when and how it was going to end. Matt, who do who do Tottenham turn to next? I mean, obviously Ryan Mason is only twenty nine. 
He's in temporary charge to the end of the season. He's got a cup final to prepare for on Sunday against Pep Guardiola. If he was to win that game, would he would he would he have a realistic chance of getting the job? Or are, are we are we being fanciful and is is Levy looking at someone from abroad? If he was to win that game and finish in the top four, <laughs> then I still think Levy would say no. It's you're not quite ready, Ryan. Um, I mean, you've got to look at it honestly. He's managed one game at top flight level. Yes. Yeah. 29, he's got to be telling Harry Kane where he's going wrong. You know, he's got to be, you know, he's got a World Cup winner there. And I think they're all putting together at the moment. <clears throat> but when they've lost three on the bounce and he's there saying, you're doing this. I mean, it's it's one thing, you know, a lot of successful managers haven't been good players uh, or good enough players. But for, for him to come from a dressing room where he couldn't, he won't move to hold because he couldn't get in the first team. And now suddenly he's telling everyone what to do. I just think, regardless, what he's an incredible young man. Don't get me wrong, but that's a big ask for somebody. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, you don't land a Tottenham job under normal circumstances. Um, you know, with your first with your first sort of senior yeah. position, um, certainly not at that age. I think he could go on to become a great manager uh, and possibly a great manager for Spurs. You know, if he does disappear somewhere else and and goes perhaps you know, get shunted aside by a new regime who doesn't particularly want him hanging around in the background because that's the hard thing for him. He's taking on this club position. If you're the new manager, he's it's hard to push him back into the academy because <laughs> as soon as you've lost a few games, it's, oh, well, hang on a sec, Ryan Mason's won us the Carabao Cup. You know, he, yeah, he, he perhaps we give him a go. So it, it's, he's really taken on a great opportunity, but it could become a big albatross, <laughs> succeed or fail. Um uh, it's interesting that Bayern Munich, the, the sacking of uh, Mourinho came uh, when Bayern Munich is suddenly looking for a new manager. So I think Spurs will be looking for similar sort of candidates that they will and, and perhaps want to signal the fact that they're in the market before anyone ties themselves to go up to there. So you're talking about Nagelsmann, yeah, Nagelmann and uh, yeah, it's uh, that sort of calibre. But you can't go from Jose and say, well, we need someone to win things and then say, well, actually, Jose couldn't win anything, so we'll go for some guy who's just, just starting his career. You've got to be going for one of the top trendy names in football. First of all, to persuade people like Harry Kane and Hume Son that it's worth sticking around and giving this guy a season mm-hmm. while you, you stick around and see the project through because that's the sell he's going to have to do over the summer as well. He's got to put someone in charge that Kane and Son uh, are going to believe that uh, could be the man to finally break the hoodoo and and get them some sort of real success. What 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 if Harry Kane goes to Daniel Levy and says I, I want Ryan Mason to get a job and and if Ryan Mason stays I stay. Well, if he puts that sort of prayer, I don't think that's something. That's what could happen. If I was Ryan Mason, I'd be saying to Harry, "Listen, I have a word." Harry has a word. Says, hey, hey, they came up through the graduate, but that gives him a different dynamic, and it, that would that would kind of be known amongst the dressing room uh, and that gives Mason the sort of authority that he needs. So yeah, if he does yeah. that and if Kane believes in him that much, which I think Mason would have to, yeah, be the top you know, it's a big what if, but if they did, then, then effectively you've got Harry Kane in charge, which is up to leave if he wants to give him that amount of power. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, what, what, what is it? What, what is nice? I think is, is that Ryan Mason leading Spurs out at Wembley, you know, as as almost, you know, the Carabao Cup final, which for 36 hours during the Super League fiasco, 
the Carabao Cup finals being held up as everything that was wrong with the game. You know, I mean, it was, you know, Spurs versus um, Manchester City. Uh, everything, you know, two pariahs of the game as they were for that brief period. But now you've actually got a lovely storyline. Yeah. You, you know, a, a, a guy, a guy leading Spurs out, you know, the game almost, you know, no exaggeration, almost cost him his life. Yeah. And now, and now it will be, can you imagine the emotion? Can you imagine what he's feeling there? Now it's, mm-hmm. now it's a lovely story. And he's facing Pep Guardiola. You know what I mean? And let's face Wembley. it, we could, we could do with a lovely story, couldn't we? Well, that's what I mean. And, and it would be, I, well, no, but we, we could, to be fair, couldn't we? I mean, let's face it, we could, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I was at, I, I mean, at Villa Park last night, you know, and again, you know, you would have been again twenty four hours previous. You would have been going to that game, and you would have been sat there in your seats, in your press seats. You'd be thinking, I, I, "I've just got to, you know, I'm not writing about the game here. You know, I, I'm just going to be writing about the Super League, about Manchester City, about who cares if they win here at Villa Park or Villa, you know." And I'm looking around and think, well, Aston Villa, that's what you call a big six club, by the way. But then that's a whole another program, probably. But and that's normally. But then when this was lifted, I went there last night, and you know what? I watched Phil Foden play football. You know, and, and that gave my football and soul a lift. Let me tell you now, it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Watching him, watching Phil Foden drag the ball out the air and ping it across to whatever and then get in and score. Watching Phil Foden, you know, basically torture Matty Cash. Watching Phil Foden, you, you know, just 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 run the show, basically. I, I wasn't thinking about Super League then. I wasn't thinking about what the Glazers are up to. I wasn't thinking about, you know, Sheikh Mansour or I wasn't thinking about Champions League slices of the pie. I wasn't thinking about John W. Henry, you know, apologising for, for whatever. I was just watching an absolutely beautiful football to play football. I mean, just, you know, stunning. And that's what we could do with. And that's what we will hopefully get on Sunday. And Ryan Mason, I, I agree, Matt, the chance of him getting the job are, you know, minuscule probably full time. But it's a lovely story. And far more, isn't it a nice thing that he's facing um, Pep? And not Jose, I sort of careworn, been here, seen it, done it, sort of, you know, the fake scowl, throwing his runners-up medal to a crowd of, well, only only a few thousand on Sunday. And isn't it nice that you've got a you've got a kid going out there? And it's almost like almost a reward for, you know, a career that was cut so sadly short. And I just think, you know, and and do we need a good space? Bottom line is, yeah, we need a lovely you, story and we might you, get one. Have you just revealed to the world your column for tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> Mark, so I just want to, I want to move on to Man I want to finish on Man City, but before I do, can I just ask you, um, Brendan Rodgers is, is a name that's been strongly sort of linked with Spurs. If you were Rodgers, would you even contemplate taking that job if you were offered it? I mean, because he's got such a good gig at Leicester, they're in the top four. They'll probably be in the Champions League next season. They've got some great young players coming through. They've just built a new training ground. The future is so bright for Leicester. You know, um, they're in the FA Cup final. Uh, he's doing a fantastic job. If he, if you were Rogers and Daniel Levy called you and said, "Are you interested?" What would you be? What would you be saying? Uh, probably not. Probably not. No, because you know things change quite quickly in football, and I know Brendan's stock has never been higher. Uh, and uh, I th- I th- but I think that if you look at the broader picture at Leicester City, what you can see is um, if they if they recruit well this summer, they recruit sensibly, and they will be going to market. So we understand that uh, the future that the future is bright for the next twelve months. So Brendan really he's settled, he's happy. Um, there's some extremely good footballers at Leicester City. Uh, they've just spent over hundred million pounds on the training complex. Um, it's a wonderful place to go and uh, to work by all accounts. I'm just looking at the pictures; it looks fabulous. 
Um, and, and Brendan himself says he's a, you know, he describes himself as a development coach. And while I personally think he'd be an excellent fit for, for Spurs in terms of, um, you know, the, what they've got there at the moment. So I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a jumble in that dressing room. They probably do need some clarity of thought. Now Jose's been in and gone. Um, I, th- I, th- I think that Brendan's probably positioned just to just to stay put and see how things go for the next twelve months, rather than jump because he's got plenty of time. He's still a relatively young man, uh, and I can still see some you know some improvements in that in that Leicester side. I mean, obviously they've got the conundrum of what what they do when Jan Vardy uh, can't can't raise a gallop anymore. But you know, if you look at the likes of Ndidi, uh, Telemans, uh, John Evans. Yeah, Fafana, Kasper Schmeichel, mm. uh, James Justin. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Castagna. These are all these are all top top players, and uh, you know, he's got a strong, strong discipline, a strong uh, dressing room there, filled, filled with uh, very good senior professionals, which is, as we all know, is the key to everything. And um, uh, where I, Brendan Rodgers, I'd be saying, do you know what? Not for me just now. But if I was Daniel Levy, I'd certainly have him on my shortlist, and, and pretty mm. high up it as well. Matt, Man City, let's move on to Man City before we finish, but um, the quadru- it's official, the quadruple is off. Mm. They lost to Chelsea in the semi-final of the FA Cup last week. Um, do you expect City to really sort of bounce back on at Wembley on Sunday and make a statement? Because they've still got three trophies to play for. You know, Guardiola hates losing games. He never admitted City could win the quadruple, but he would have known deep down that they had a great chance to do it this season. Do you expect to see a, a City side coming out all guns blazing? I'll tell you what, 21 seconds into last night's game, I wondered if they were going to win anything. Um, it's been remarkable, isn't it, how, how rubbery they've suddenly become over in certain, certain games. Um, but yeah, the, the, they seem to have some sort of weird ownership of the Carabao Cup in recent years that he's become their trophy and for whatever it is they always seem to to do it on the day um, in in those sort of finals and uh, yeah no, I think they'll be very strong again um, it'll be interesting to see as well because it'll be a lot of players who weren't playing last night mm. who lost to Chelsea who sh- perhaps have something to prove from that game um, to prove that they are good squad players still um, so, and it doesn't look like Harry Kane's going to be playing for Spurs. So, you know, if um, I think there'll be too much about City to, to allow a, a sort of that Spurs to, I mean, they were able to bounce back against Southampton, um, but but I think City will be a step too much. So uh, there's just something about Pep's winning mentality that, that they won't be off it or again. Um, they won't allow that. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be first one in the cupboard and see what you can do with the rest. Boys, just before we finish, because I've got to let you go soon. Um, obviously, we saw this humiliating climb down from the big six in this uh, Super League thing this this week. And it's sort of reminiscent of other other sort of people having to eat humble pie in, uh, in football or sport in general. I just wondered if any of you had any sort of anecdotes about previous climb downs, shall we say, in, in football that have, uh, have left people with egg on their faces. Deafening silence. <laughs> this is deafening silence. I actually thought, you know, you, you know there's, I mean, talk about football. I mean, I, there's been probably... You know, many, many. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, U-turn has been the, you know, reverse ferret, U-turn, call you what it wants, uh, has, has been the sort of buzz buzz phrases. And and I'm going to I'm gonna go, from personal experience, I, I, I'm going to go for a different sport. I'm going to move to the Olympics. And, and Steve Redgrave, you know, 
if you ever see me in a boat again, shoot me. <laughs> you know, and then he and he, and then he was back in the boat winning a um, a fifth gold medal. And like you know, it's, so and, and to me that that was that will always remain because I remember that interview very well, and um, and and that was like you know the biggest U turn I've, I've seen in, in sports, albeit one that we probably all knew was coming. Well, then you got Fergie's U turn, haven't you? If we're talking about quitters who didn't, when he made it clear that he was gonna gonna yeah. stop. In, uh, yes, and then found out that Sven was linked with a job and was going to get about three times as much more money as, uh, as him. I remember actually going to... Actually, I don't know how I remember. I remember talking to Fergie, I went on a tour to South Africa. It was the summer that United was signing Van Persie from um, Arsenal. And we were in Durban and um, there was a press conference. And about an hour before, news was breaking that they'd signed, um, they'd signed Van Persie. It was obviously a massive story that summer. Yeah poaching him from Arsenal. Um, it would have been 2012, I think. Anyway, um, Manchester, we were literally walking into the room in this hotel in Durban for Fergie and um, Man United had put announced the signing on the, their official website. So anyway, we sat down and the first, one of the lads' first questions, so you must be delighted to have signed um, Van Persie, Sir Alex, and he just denied that they'd signed him. Mm. He just said, we're, we're signing, don't know what you're talking about. And one of the lads said, well, it's on your website, mate. And Karen Shotball, the press officers, just sort of like sat there thinking, oh, no, mm. this is this is not good. And Fergie's face just went puce red because we'd embarrassed him. And he went, yeah, well, yeah, all right, we have signed him. And just stood up and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite funny. The quickest U-turn I ever had was uh, I was out in Thailand on a pre-season tour with Leeds 2002 um, and was granted an interview uh, with Robbie Fowler um, by the club after he, I don't know if you, he had a late swan song with Leeds, played mm. really well in the 2001-2002 season, uh, went to the World Cup and got just 20 minutes on the pitch, despite playing some of the best football he played for years. Um, certainly, uh, yeah, he'd always been injury, had injury problems, but he played really well, but then only got 20 minutes. So I was told, right, you can do it, but you have to do it. He's going up to the lift, it, to the um, the medical wing, and the, he's going up to see the physio in the, in the fourth floor of this hotel. He can walk in through the lobby with him, Past everyone up in the lift, and then you'd have to leave it there because you can't get up on that floor. But that's the window you've got to do the interview. Why? Why he's because he's then in a, a dash. Brilliant. Talking about this, all this, um, uh, how his disappointment of not getting played more and all the rest of it. But it's only it spurred him to to hit the floor running in the next season and really make a last gasp bit to to cement his place in the England team and perhaps get a few more caps. Than his that his career deserved and all the rest of it, uh, and how you know the frustrations of sitting there. All I want to do is be playing now. Um, did all that interview, great stuff, really heartfelt stuff. Came down the lift, and the press officer David Walker, well known in this parish, uh, <laughs> asked me, "Oh, how did your interview go?" He said, "Oh, really well, thanks." He said, "I should probably just tell you the medics just had a look at him, and they decided they're going to give him an op." And he's going to be out for three months. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the, the, the quickest U-turn on, on a player's future. I thought, oh, cheers, David. <laughs> yeah, not quite such a useful interview after all. Leeds but, was yeah. never an easy club to cover back then, was it? Really? No, no, not back in the day. Right, well, brilliant. We'll have to wrap it up there. So thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Um, I hope to see you next week. Of course, we'll be back with our esteemed host, John Cross, next week. Uh, who's having a well-earned break this week. So thanks to Andy, thanks to Martin, thanks to Mox for joining us this week. Uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye.